Welcome back to the Marvel Movie Minute, a daily podcast in which we explore the films of the Marvel Cinematic Universe one minute at a time. In this, our fifth season, we are looking at Joe Johnston's 2011 film Captain America, The First Avenger. I'm Andy Nelson from the Next Real Film Podcast. And I'm Pete Wright, and I too punch goose-stepping goons. Today we are talking about Minute 50, which begins with the director telling Steve and the actors to not look in the camera, and ends with Steve punching Hitler in Philadelphia. Back on the show uh, today, sadly for the last time, as Jessica Plummer, contributing editor at Book Riot. Jessica, welcome back. Thank you. Mid-musical. This is a great moment. We're in the montage, and we actually come in on a scene where we have a team of production people filming Steve and this group of actors playing soldiers walking through a forest, and we see it is, in fact, just a rear screen projection system, and uh, the director yells at them for looking into the camera. I, I don't know. I just love this bit, especially because when you when you look off to the sides of the set, it's like all Egyptian paraphernalia and things. Yeah, like <laughs> pharaohs and stuff. <laughs> it's also it's such a cute nod to the Howling Commandos. Like it's just it's I, like we talked about we, we gushed about this whole sequence before, but I love it not just because the song is so much fun, but because it is absolutely packed with easter eggs like it's just it's so self-referential in such like a joyful way and it just makes me happy to watch it yeah and i i love that it is like for people who were familiar with the comics seeing steve marching with like a group of soldiers that looks kind of like this it does feel like oh i recognize what they're doing here and that nod to the howling commandos it's great to see it's like really kind of a fun little uh, like you said, it's the, this little Easter egg that we have at this point, uh, because, you know, at this point, I think people are probably like, I hope I get to see the Howling Commandos. But if not, at least they have this Easter egg in here, which is it's a fun way to do it. Do you think Steve, when he like got to Europe, was like, I need like picking friends. He was like, I need guys who watch my movie. I need to take the continuity. <laughs> and you stand here and you're going to be over this shoulder. <laughs> no, French guy, you have to be on my right. 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 We need French guy. And you're kind of in the back always just kind of in the back on the right. <laughs> I think it's uh, uh, and, and you, the guy who looks like Billy Zane. I need you right there on my shoulder. <laughs> um, I think uh, I, I think it's such a great tease. You talk about Easter eggs like you see this and you think it's an Easter egg. And then you actually get to have later in the movie, you get to have the grand rescue. Uh, what wonderful structure of this movie that they that they play you and then don't leave that that sort of love unrequited yeah you know you actually you get to see the whole thing play out that's that's great i was really wanting to find out who played the director in this particular um bit of the montage that we have i could not it's it's very difficult to say who plays the director in in captain america oh well that's joe johnson no no no. (laughs) who who plays the director in the scene in the montage (laughs) joe johnson like it's and, and maybe it is joe johnson actually being the director in the scene, I would love to know that he had a little cameo just doing that. But um, it was very difficult to figure out what that information was. But I'm going to believe that was him from now on and tell people and tell people you're really taking it all the way. <laughs> I'm going to commit gonna... to the bit in a way that nobody has. It's going to be her whole new Twitter thing. She's that's yeah. all she's going to be focusing on. Is <laughs> Have you seen Joe Johnston in Captain America? <laughs> he really sold me on being a director i felt like he knew what it was like (laughs) the director was namor we talked about this last time of course it was that's settled comic science (laughs) 
Oh, if we just, uh, if only we could see his feet in the shot. Oh. <laughs> this, this montage is fun because it really sells us on the sorts of things that they're having Captain America do. Kissing babies, selling war bonds, take your, take a, a photo with Captain America and uh, being in these sorts of propaganda films that they were. This is the sort of thing that loud jerk from earlier in the film is now going to be watching when he goes and he'll probably be complaining that he has to watch this and doesn't get to watch the film. Yeah, right. That's what he's going to be doing. <laughs> that guy doesn't appreciate art. That guy's about to get in a fight in the alley with another kid. Another kid. The next super soldier. Mm-hmm. Every time I go to the movies. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the, the musical continues. Now we have these new lyrics and we've already talked about some of these, but we can't ignore there's a threat and a war we must win. Who will hang a noose on the goose-stepping goons from Berlin? Who will indeed lead the call for America? Who will rise or fall, give his all for America? Who's here to prove that we can? The star-spangled man with a plan. I know, I just for the record, I don't have any meter problems with this set of lines. <laughs> okay, okay. How, how are you, Jessica? I mean, yeah, the rhyme, the rhyme scheme in the first two lines doesn't match, but I forgive it because who will hang a noose on the goose-stepping goons from Berlin is so Frigging good, like not just the rhyming, but the assonance of it. There's so many, there's four ooh sounds in that. Like it's just, it just, it wants to be said. It wants to be sung. It's a beautiful line. And we should also point out that by this point, the drummers have kicked in. And we should just give them some credit as well. Uh, USO drummers, Billy Lozowski, Gregory Paulette, Adam Birch, Adam Kent, William Morris, David Stahl, Paul Simmons, Mark Wheeler, Chris Diggle, and Michael Humphrey. And we also have them singing too, drumming and singing as they as they march through the back. And and that that speaks to the scope of this. And that's what I love. I mean, we've got that when Captain America comes out, he's got there's the big statues with the eagles on them and kind of the uh, the the fabric draped around them like the American flag. You've got the drummers in there. You've got him coming down a bunch of steps. Uh, and, and the shots are so creative. I love the way that. Johnston does this, like that overhead shot as Steve uh, walks out and the two diagonal lines of girls kind of cross through each other as they walk. It's just, it's clear that not only is like, there's that sense of Mencken, the Broadway guy who does these great songs, but also it just feels so Broadway. It feels so stagey and perfectly crafted. I love the way that they build this whole thing. It's very Broadway, but the overhead shot of Showgirls is also very Busby Berkeley. Like, yeah, this is not... Good point. You can tell when somebody's doing a musical number who doesn't like musicals, and that's not what's happening here. Which, yeah, it's interesting, because Joe Johnston, like, you don't think of him as, oh, he's that guy who does all those great musicals. Like, is this this is the <laughs> only musical thing he's ever done, right? As far as I know, but that's a shame. He, he, he gets it. He knows what he's about. He does. Well, that's that's very true. Well, I guess he was involved in the Nutcracker and the Four Realms. I don't know how much dancing or singing was in that. I feel like there was some dancing, but mostly I think they they kind of destroyed. It was much heavier on Four Realms. It was much, yeah, much heavier on everything other than Tchaikovsky yeah. and ballet. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so yeah, maybe we won't bring that one up. Andy, I got one. I got a question for you that I was unable to find because it's so hard to figure out the right search and my broadcast. History is uh, in the of the 40s is a little bit rough. What do you know about the advent of bar wipes, like bar transitions in television and film? 
Like when were when were we did we start to uh, were we able to start making more complex uh, wipes and transitions than hard cuts and fades? I mean, that's a great question. Uh, I mean, transitions, they've been doing a lot of stuff like this for a long time. Obviously, Star Wars yeah. was one of the things in the 70s that most famously um, really played around with what you could do with wipes. And I mean, there were a lot of, uh, generally, it's just a circle wipe. But I mean, filmmakers all the way back, back to the beginning, were using different sorts of wipes and stuff. And it's process shots that they were doing. And it involved... Uh, complicated um, methods of kind of taking this where they uh, they they would have an A and a B and a C kind of uh, deck on their editors where the A is one shot, the B is the other, and they would modify it onto the C as they were as they were going, and so it was a very lengthy process and much more complicated than I'm actually explaining it to be. But in the process of that, um, it would create these different wipes and stuff. And so I don't know when they started doing things that were much more complicated. I feel like TV, when they were able to start doing electronic things and play with um, what you could do in the in the cuts within kind of video, that's where a lot of this stuff really started happening. Um, but yeah, I mean when I saw this bar wipe that we have here uh, partway through this, it felt uh, weirdly so perfect. And I was so surprised yeah. by that because this sort of wipe is so cheesy. Like wipes like this are the cheesiest things. And, uh, but it worked like it was a great transitional moment from one shot of the dancers to the next shot of the dancers. And it's like, you hardly even notice it. It was, it was weird how perfect it was. Well, and so weird that it felt of the period to me. Like, I didn't question it at all. It felt like this is not only cheesy, but it, it feels like something that you might have seen in a broadcast of of this thing. And I know you probably wouldn't have, because at no point were we making doing complex wipes for, for you know, television broadcast for this kind of stuff in, in the 40s. But it feels of the era to me. And I think that's one of those bits of sensitivity that Johnston has to know when a cheesy, what is now a cheesy PowerPoint wipe is going to be appropriate for this incredibly cheesy musical number. I mean, I think it's, it's similar to like Alan Menken's ability to evoke what may or may not be authentic to the music he's emulating, but it feels like it should. Totally. And it, and it's, you know, it's this bar wipe, but it very much evokes stripes, you know, the stars and mm -hmm. stripes. And to that end, it's like stars and stripes. it ends up fitting. And maybe that's why it works so well. Uh, it's it's funny. Like, I don't know if in in the course of ever watching this film until now, I don't know if I've ever even noticed it because it just felt so natural in the transition that we have here. And it's just like, oh, there it was. Um, it's it surprised me to see it and uh, to see it play so well. Yeah, and we do get the the radial transition later as Cap is is waving. It kind of comes out of the star, and uh, you know, there's the Star Wars uh, circle uh, that we Starwix love. Right. Starwix, yeah, yeah, <laughs> and that that takes us to our you know Buffalo, Milwaukee, Philly. It really kicks up the the montage part of the montage where we're like, you know, we've just been seeing the longer scenes of the montage. Now we're hitting the point where it's like, we're going to speed this up a little bit and we're just going to show how many places he's going and how many times he gets to punch Hitler. And, uh, you know, that's that's what's great about it. So he's in Brooklyn. 
or possibly Manhattan. And then he goes to Buffalo and then Milwaukee and then back down to Philly. Like, what's he doing? <laughs> <laughs> it seems like, is he ever going to get to the West Coast? Like, where? I, I'm very confused by this. Does it make you wonder, though, if there are other tours going on and Hitler is in a different bus? And actually, they only meet up in these cities. Maybe. That's my headcanon, is that Hitler's a different tour, and they have to meet. I mean, who knows how many other Steves they had? Because could anybody tell? He's in a mask. Yeah, you're right. He's in a mask. Maybe. Well, that's actually an interesting point. Like, uh, does Steve start doing this? But at, at a certain point, do they say, you know what? Let's train a bunch of guys to do this. We can have it all over the place. I hadn't thought about that, but yeah. Well, they do. In the Agent Carter show, they do have an ongoing Captain America radio drama. And like, obviously, at that point, everybody knows Captain America is dead. But like, they're certainly willing to use this real human being who's also sort of a fake human being. Like, he's a construct. It's like, yeah, he's transcended the individual. Right. They're certainly willing to use that as you know, whatever they, for whatever propaganda entertainment purposes they want. So yeah, I bet once Steve decided to put on better pants and go AWOL, they were like, all right, find some other actor and have him do the tours. Yeah. Right. We're raking in those E-bond e sales. Well, and, and this is definitely something we'll be talking a lot over the course of the film later, but I mean, it does speak to what do what does the general public know about this guy, this Captain America character? Like, I, I can't imagine that the military and the government actually releases information that he was fighting in the war and that he died in the war. Like, I feel like that's probably all top secret. And so as far as the general public is concerned, it makes me think that perhaps all anybody thinks of Captain America is he's like Uncle Sam. He is that guy who was on the posters telling us to buy war bonds and who would show up at the USO tours. So I don't know if this is true for the Marvel comics, but in DC, there is a parody character of Captain America called General Glory, who, <laughs> I mean, he's a straight up parody. He's like the, the note for note, basically the same shtick. And he actually was like, he, he had a, he's kind of a combination of Captain America and Captain Marvel, the original, because he says a magic word or he like says the preamble to the, declaration or something ridiculous and he transforms into general glory um but as part of the cover there are comic books about him and so people think he's just a comic book character but he actually was a real person so it could be something like that where they're like oh yeah captain america's fake it's fictional and then he shows up in the middle of times square looking confused yeah it's fantastic but also it it kind of goes to that idea that celebrity precedes heroism Right. He was already famous. He was already yeah. at the point he's in Times Square. He was a legend. He's a commodity. Yeah. Is that just thinking going back to Hercules of that moment where Hercules holds up an action figure of himself to Zeus and <laughs> says, I'm an action figure and squeezes it. That's that's where Steve is. Yeah, absolutely. That's where yeah. Steve is. I do love how he transitions over the course of, of this minute and kind of like for, from what we had seen before, where he just was so unsure and everything. He's got the lines memorized. He is marching. He is smiling. You know, he is, uh, you know, he may be selling scrap metal like Timmy, but he's found some joy, I think, in it. It's not his love in life, but, you know, I, I feel like there's a little bit, there's a hint. Well, I, and part of it is how 
like how long could you go being put in a suit and paraded in front of an audience that is shouting in support of you before you start to buy into the to the propaganda a little bit yourself? Yeah. Yeah, he's definitely having fun. It's not until he gets to Europe and sees what it's really like that he's like, oh, right. Oh, this isn't as great. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I And we've talked about it a little bit already, but we have upgraded the show to the point where we have our own little Adolf Hitler, and we've got a great uh, set of kids at the, at the tour here who are uh, helping Steve see him. Um, it's just adorable. Um, just a, a quick little uh, thing on all of them. Uh, James Payton plays Adolf Hitler. I like how they have him credited as, quote, Adolf Hitler. He's not actually playing Adolf <laughs> Hitler. Um, with IMDb game for our actors, James Payton is a face that um, you may not right away, it, you probably don't recognize. So I'll just read the four IMD, the four films on IMDb that they say he's known for. The first one is an interesting one. Um, Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix. He plays Frank Longbottom. I don't remember that story well enough to remember who Frank Longbottom is. Do either of you remember him? Well, in- he's Neville's. He's ne- Neville's father. Neville's father. Uh, and Gosh, I don't, but I don't even. In the Order of the Phoenix, there's the whole. I mean, we do get because all the kids get in trouble, right, for doing their whole thing, and all the parents come in who are supporting, don't they? Isn't that the one? Ugh. I mean, that might have happened. I don't know if I ever saw that movie, but Neville's parents are in a mental institution because they were tortured <gasps> by death eaters. No, yes. Yep, you're totally So right. they wouldn't have shown up. You're right. Okay. It would have been, it, he would have been in some sort of a flashback, I would guess. I think, yeah, probably of the original order. Yeah. Okay, okay. Uh, so that's so he plays uh, Neville's dad in some flashback scene or something like that. Uh, second is this film. Third is a project where he plays Tony Blair uh, called Creation Stories. I'm not exactly sure what that is. Last but not least, it is Who is James Payton? And that is a, a project where he's playing himself, uh, following him over the course of the year in what it says is a deeply personal look at the meaning of fame, success and the life of a working actor. Isn't that interesting? Hmm. And maybe in there, it would talk about how in Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix, everybody at one point is gathering around looking at one of those photos of the original order, nailed it. And it's got everybody arms around each other taking and it's a photo of them kind of looking around. And he was in that picture. He was in a picture in a movie. Okay, so that's it. But 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 you say picture. Remember, this is a magic picture. So there yes. it's it's like they're all moving around and stuff. It is. It's a moving picture. This is the one. I, I mean, maybe there was another flash over to the asylum, but the picture where it's clearly him is in a magic moving picture. Nice. Yeah. A tour de force. <laughs> he he was perfect. He is clearly what people go to see Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix for. Well, it's also when I saw him with the little Hitler mustache, I said, hey, Frank Longbottom. <laughs> <laughs> Neville's dad, how could you? That's right. <laughs> uh, we have the two kids in the front row of the USO audience, uh, an adorable pair. Megan Sanderson plays the little girl. Uh, she doesn't have a big IMDb listing. It's generally stuff she did when she was a little kid. This was her first film. Then she played a talent show contestant in Molly Moon and the Incredible Book of Hypnotism. And then she was a child in the, at the fairground in Miss Peregrine's Home for Peculiar Children, followed by a, a project called Two is a Family, where she also was a child in a fairground. So clearly, uh, it's a lot of that sort of stuff where she's, you know, yeah, she's a kid ground. at a thing where there are a lot of other people doing things. 
Uh, and then the other child. Uh, now, let me check this. Uh, the other child is Darren Simpson. I have to look at this and make sure it's the right one. Because IMDb, there was a point where they had him broken and they had him credited as an old man. Uh, but no, I, I think Very this versatile. is... Well, do you think he was alive in 2005, this kid? He's probably five. He's probably real young, right? He was in this. This was the last thing he was credited before. Before this, he was a zombie in a project called Night People 2005 and, uh, you know, in a, in a TV show in 2004. So he has not done a lot of things. Um, so, you know what? I, I He's a child zombie? I think that no, I think that they have a this baby all mixed zombie? up. They have this, this all mixed this up. This is another guy. Yeah, this is yeah. another guy. They have him cross credit. Let me just say I would watch the hell out of that movie. <laughs> no. Baby zombies? Yeah, no. baby zombies. The musical? <laughs> they there aren't enough baby zombies in zombie movies, Pete. Truth. Yeah. That would actually Pete. be really like I'm I mean I'm picturing Muppet babies, but if you did it seriously, it'd be really yeah. creepy. It would be awesome. We do have the zombie baby in um, the Dawn of the Dead remake, right? Yeah. She gives birth to the baby and it's a little zombie. And it's a zombie baby. Yeah. Might be the only but one I mean I know like about. zombie baby hordes. They wouldn't move I wanna very see, fast. I want to see like World War zombie baby. <laughs> I want to see him like crawling up the walls. I don't think they can. They can they're, they're not a threat. They're, they're very. Just, this slow, is why they don't crawling. do it. It's not a threat. It is not a threat. <laughs> anyway, Darren Simpson. It's all about numbers, Andy. You know how this works. Crying out loud. I uh, mean, both Marvel has both Marvel zombies and Marvel babies. So we could we could conceivably <laughs> Marvel zombie babies is all I'm saying. What if we already have a channel for this brilliant content? Marvel, just make it make it happen. It's coming soon to a theater near you. <laughs> Anyway, yes, they have uh, poor young Darren Simpson cross uh, cross credited on IMDb. So the only thing that I know he did was this film. It may be all. It may be all. The other person is definitely not him. Okay. Um, that's kind of it. That's it. I mean, we have uh, Steve and his and his uh, singing and his dancing, and he's having a great time. And uh, yeah, we're gonna finish up next week with more of the singing, but. I don't have anything else for this minute. How about either of you? No. I, I'm done. I'm sad, but I'm done. Yeah, I want it to go on forever, but I know it can't. <laughs> Sadly, it cannot, but it was great having these couple minutes of Alan Menken this week. Uh, very fun to see, and I can't wait to see how it plays out next week when we return. But uh, Jessica, tell everybody one last time where they can find more about what you're up to on the internets. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Jess underscore plumber. I'm a contributing editor at Book Riot, where I write about comics and other book things. Um, and I have a short story in the Arthurian uh, retellings anthology, Sword Stone Table, that came out last year. Excellent. Excellent. Check that out, everybody. You know, Jessica, we do have one last thing that I can't believe I forgot. But we do ask all of our guests before the week's up. Of all the films, the comics, all the stuff, what is your favorite Captain America moment? Do you have one that you can single out? Oh, it's this. It's absolutely this. No <laughs> question. Like, there is, I will say there is an issue of Daredevil from mm, about 10 years ago where uh, he and Daredevil get into a fight because of, 
you know, some very flimsy misunderstanding, but they switch weapons. And so he's fighting with the billy clubs and Daredevil's fighting with the shield. And that's a lot of fun, but they're not singing and dancing. So it's, (laughs) it's only a runner up. So it's, yeah. So it's automatically a notch down from this. I would watch that as a musical number. It's like um, a song and dance number. I see kind of a stomp kind of thing uh, written all over it. 100% yeah. Chris Evans and Charlie Cox would do it. Yeah. They are in. Yeah. They are down. Ugh. Wow. I think we... So that's the second thing that we need to talk to Marvel about. Mar- <laughs> Marvel Baby Zombies. Marvel Zombie Babies. And the Daredevil Captain America... Chris Evans, Charlie Cox. Musical showdown. Weapon swap musical dance number. Wow. Yeah. Amazing. Homework. Yeah, we, this has been awesome. Thank you, Jessica. Thank you for having me. It's been so much fun. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Uh, remember, everybody, you can learn more about uh, what we're doing up on the socials over at marvelmovieminute.com. You can check out our merch and join our Discord community. All that good stuff. Just head to marvelmovieminute.com. Pete, thanks as always. Stalwart and steady and true. Until next time, true believers. Marvel Movie Minute is a production of True Story FM, engineering by Andy Nelson. This season's music is Spread the News by Anthony Vega, and this season's show art is by Winston Yabo. Find the show at truestory.fm, and if your podcast app allows ratings and reviews, consider doing that for this show. <laughs>